So I, I have uh, an iPhone. And I think like most phones today, it's all about what filter can I put on? How can I make it look fancy and get it on Instagram? And so for, for my iPhone uh, people out there, there's a, a section uh, uh, a section on, the, um, on your photo app that is called Portrait. And Portrait allows you to take a picture. I'm looking at Dr. Jeff in front of me right now so I can take a picture of you. And it really focuses on you. And it fades out everything else around you so you are the crystal clear image. But all the, all the stuff around the sides... Uh, makes it go away. Becomes superfluous. Yeah, and and people on Instagram and and most other places, that's a good-looking image. Okay, now that you've got that picture in your head, you can see it on your cell phone. Listen to episode 31 and hear how this ties in to your annual eye exam. From the in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee, it's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Welcome to As I See It. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris, coming to you live from Franklin, Tennessee, Cool Springs Eye Care, and representing Donaldson Eye Care over in Donaldson from Music City, USA. I am really excited today to talk about something that's a real pain in the lid. I knew you thought what I was going to say, but um, today we're going to focus on styes, those sometimes painful, always annoying, small or large little bumps that we get on the eyelids. A lot of times during some of these transition seasons, uh, and they always seem to happen at the most inopportune time. You're about to go to a wedding. You're about to have your picture taken. You're about to go to an Ohio State football game. Who knows what it is, but I'm joined by an oculoplastic specialist, Dr. Kelly Everman, who practices in Franklin and Nashville to help us understand these perplexing and annoying little bumps, why we get them and how we treat them. And Dr. Everman, most importantly, as an Ohio State fan, a fellow Buckeye, I say, O-H. I-O. All right. So, Dr. Everman, you and I are both transplanted from the Midwest. Tell us about you, your training. How'd you get here? Well, you know, uh, as the eye world continues to subspecialize significantly, I've managed to find one of the <laughs> most specialized little areas uh, in the world of ophthalmology which, of course, is oculoplastics, or mm-hmm. now they call it oculofacial plastics. Ah, there you uh, go. Uh, which we don't you, want to restrict ourselves, do we? Uh, just, <laughs> just keep making it smaller and smaller, right? Yep. And, uh, uh, and so uh, I originally actually started out in internal medicine and pediatrics. Hmm. And uh, so I was really broad mm-hmm. uh, in the early stages of all of this uh, and then decided, you know what, I think I would like to be the person on the other end that when people come with very specific problems, I've got a very specific treatment and way to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so after I switched into an ophthalmology residency, uh, I then went on to do two additional years in very specific fellowship training for oculofacial plastic surgery which is eyelids, tear drains, eye sockets, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. orbit, trauma, skin cancer reconstructions. Uh, and it just gives me a really good chance to do a lot of variety of things. Mm-hmm. From very somewhat somewhat minor to extensive, That's correct? Exactly. That's correct. So we'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes. We're going to focus on what you as a surgeon would call a relatively straightforward type of thing. We as patients say, well, it was a big thing to me, you know, especially when we're considering I might need to have surgery on this. So before we get to there, where did you do your fellowship training? 
So, you know, I did both my residency mm-hmm. and my fellowship in Indianapolis at okay. uh, Indiana University. So kept okay. it in the Big Ten for a little bit. There, there you go. There you go. And you have some family. And, of course, they are all, if they're going to stay in the will, they must go to Ohio State. Is that right? That's right. That's why my <laughs> older two daughters have already been jettisoned from the will. That's right. <laughs> as they both become Orange Tennessee volunteers. <laughs> yeah, we've got one of our three that went to Ohio State. And so she's... You know, what little money we have, she's in the money. The other two are going to have to fend for themselves. That's exactly so that's, right. No, but all in good fun. But let's talk about a little bit more of these painful presentations, these little red bumps on the eyelids or inside the eyelid, both upper and lower. We call these styes. They're blocked glands or multiple blocked glands. How do these things occur? Yeah, you know, it's one of those uh, things that for a long time was very mysterious as to the source of it. And over the years, we've managed to elucidate some other changes, um, some things that show up along the way that make people more likely to develop them. Uh, The problem is, is not everybody has those diseases, Mm -hmm. right? And so some people have diseases like rosacea, Mm -hmm. uh, which Mm -hmm. makes it very common for them to end up with this uh, type of lesions uh, and inflammatory changes along the lid margin. And some studies now will talk about, you know, the amount of blepharitis as Mm -hmm. a generic term. Inflammatory of the lids, right? Lids, right. Real generic. 80% of patients, all right, or people will have some of that at some point in time in their life. Now, they're not all going to end up with uh, lesions, Mm -hmm, right? They mm -hmm. end up with dryness to their eyes and irritation and redness. And, uh, but we see as fundamentally one of the most, uh, uh, most common things is this whole genesis of blepharitis or inflammation along the lid margin. The other thing is kind of fascinating, uh, which always takes people back just a little bit is uh, the presence of these little mites, Mm-hmm. Right? Are these little yep. things that show up on your skin that you don't see? It's the normal flora, right? They're there, but they're there, yep. right? And uh, and when you look at estimates uh, estimates of what people have in terms of volume of these things, you know, about the time you go through puberty. Uh, is about the time that all of a sudden these things start to proliferate inside of these pilosebaceous units. So the hair follicle and those glands there that are producing some of the oils. They love oil, don't they? They love it. They love it. So they love teenagers in that regard. Right. But what they love even more is age. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> by the time we hit 50, 70% of us have these things on the surface of the lid. And by the time we hit 70, pretty much everybody has some of these as commensal organisms sitting there along the lid margin, but they wreak havoc. Uh, mm-hmm. And when they wreak havoc, they cause a lot of inflammation and change along that lid margin and sometimes is one of the main uh, sources and causes for uh, for these kinds of uh, lesions to develop. Mm-hmm. And for you that are interested in what kind of mite might I have on my lids, we're talking about demodex. And uh, that, we could we could have a whole we could have a whole podcast just on the whole demodex situation and how how common that is, what type of problems those those cause. But certainly, blocked glands are are one of those. The blepharitis, etc. I remember my dad. He was when I was going through optometry. He thought any anything I diagnosed him with, man, he was proud of that. He had like, a, hey, I got a Mittendorf dot. Hey, I got blepharitis, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, it really is true. We we do see that blepharitis and inflammation of the lid is and and mostly due to demodex is almost endemic in the elderly population. Elderly, of course, is ten years older than wherever we are at this point in time. But that's why we often recommend lid scrubs and cleanliness for the lids, much like we do if you're brushing your teeth and something more than just face washing. On that, and a lot of people will say, "I'm sure you get this." 
how did I, what did I do wrong? What, what am I doing wrong? Um, how did I get this? You know, they're wondering if this is like contagious from somebody else, but why do these things pop up just sometimes and not all the time? When do you tend to see more of these? Any seasonal predilection? Uh, we do see that, and we see it sometimes with hormonal predilection, I think, as well, too. And uh, uh, But, you know, you bring up an interesting point because whether it's the way society has sort of drifted, there is a certain sort of guilt that comes out in that question, <laughs> yeah. and you have to reassure them, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's, uh, am I using the wrong makeup? Mm-hmm. I didn't throw my makeup pencil away at the right time. Is this what's driving that? Mm-hmm. I ate the wrong kind of cottage cheese, right? right? right. I, I mean, there's a whole series of what they place as cause and effect, when reality, a lot of it is based on your natural genetics, how your lid is uh, structured, how those glands are structured, uh, how uh, the oils form, uh, and some of those changes. And so because of that, you have very little control actually about when these things show up, just like you had very little control of whether or not you were going to get acne on the night mm-hmm. of your wedding, right? right or right. Uh, at the prom Or the prom, date, yes. right? And, uh, have and you been so- looking through my yearbook? <laughs> Yeah. And so so those are those are things that we don't control and I reassure them that you know these are not things that um uh, are generally driven by anything that you're doing at all in terms of habits but it's things that you naturally have that gets a little worse and mm-hmm. a little more problematic as you age and we have to try to control those things to try to prevent them from happening. Yeah, cuz we see at the microscope an awful lot of people that have more of a, a thicker, stickier type of mybomian sebum or or um, material, but they have no symptoms. They're happy. They don't have dry eyes. Things are fine. And you always go, you know, there's a kind of a level where theoretically, if you're, you know, just look at it from an academic standpoint, oh, well, that's this and that needs to be treated. But the practical side is well, the vast majority of those people may do okay, but we also don't want them to lose a healthy gland, which can happen we start to get atrophy of that gland if it's not producing. And so, you know, it's always a, a, an interesting question for us as eye doctors as to whether we say nothing, whether we say, oh, this is a big problem, or whether we say, hey, I'm noticing some things that concern me, but we're going to monitor this. You're not having any symptoms. And even if I prescribe something right now, you're probably not going to use it, are you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so along those lines, though, we can modify a little bit by keeping the glands from being blocked. We talked about lid scrubs, warm compresses, right? Do you recommend warm compresses? And and what do you think about omega-3 fatty acids? Yeah, so uh, the way that I view uh, some of these accessory components uh, is that they're useful adjuncts, but they're not going to change the world. Mm-hmm right? Uh, Warm compresses, it's helpful in the sense that it's there and it's intended, all right, to thin out some of those secretions. But as soon as you pull the warmth away, it just hardens right back up again, right? So if you're going to do it, it has to be warm compresses with a significant amount of massage. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where some of these newer technologies that have come out have become much more readily available and universal towards helping people because they do allow for some excretion of that material that comes from the gland. Because, you know, is that material, and you've seen it just as you describe it, it gets like sludge, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It starts to get thick. It sits like a little cap on the surface. And I tell my patients this is about like leaving the cap off the toothpaste, Right, right. It's a very you good leave analogy. That off, it sits right there on the top, and everything beneath it hardens beneath it, which is why 
the lid scrubs are useful. It's why those warm compresses can be useful uh, in the sense of dilating that surface. But once you've got pretty significant disease, I think you need something more mm-hmm. uh, than uh, some of that. In regards to the omega-3s and the fish oils and things of that nature, same scenario. This goes to uh, some of the notions that you've talked about, you know, as a dentist, all right? Mm -hmm. You can do your home maintenance, and then sometimes you need that professional cleaning. Those things are home maintenance things, right? It's um, it, it's helpful in the sense that it probably does uh, create a little bit of uh, thinning of some of those oils, so they secrete a little more easily. Uh, but again, it's not going to be something that's really going to drastically impact right. uh, somebody that's got a more severe problem. And and I often tell my patients. Uh, you know, outside of using a, a, a supplement as a pill, uh, that uh, actually eating a fair number of almonds every day, uh, <laughs> somewhere in the range of eight to 10, yeah. um, is actually an easy way for people to sort of remember to do it by having that bowl there that they grab and mm-hmm. just grab a few throughout the day. And that helps out. It's supportive therapy as right. opposed to active treatment is the way that I yeah. view those I things. I think some people that get chronic and recurrent styes are looking for anything that they could be doing that might be helpful um now we, you talked about uh, what we really call lipoflow which is a uh, a technology that we get to the right temperature so we can melt some of those those sticky tears if you will that are in the oil glands and and then express them out that's kind of like the teeth cleaning analogy right i'm doing it at home my way maybe i've got a brooder mask or a hot compress or a a hard-boiled egg and now i've heated up i've massaged a little bit but at some point that's just not good enough we need to do it more professionally so what are the benefits of lipoflow and tell us a little bit about kind of just how that works Yeah, so I actually think this is a pretty amazing thing that some folks have come up with relative to this. Now, hate to go back to those teenagers, Mm -hmm. right? But you have a mix of teenagers that love to sit and pop their zits all day long, right? Yep. This is the machine for you if that was your thing, right? (laughs) That's right. Uh, Because even though you can't see it, I I often tell people, you know, if you remember the old Play-Doh machines uh, where you stick the Play-Doh in there. (laughs) and squish them down. And you squish down and you see those little worms come out. Ooze out, yeah. That's the kind of thing that we see when we squeeze on these glands. We don't see it as clear fluid oftentimes. We see it as thick, white material. Almost like toothpaste. Almost very pasty at that point in time. And so, so this particular device says, hey, we need to be able to generate enough heat without causing any damage to the eye, and then we need to have something that's going to pump or squeeze some of that material out of there. Why? Because that structure of the eyelid is set up that it's a, a substance that we call the tarsal plate. It's sort of like cartilage. So it's sort of like what your tip of your nose or your ear feels like. And because of it, it's stiff. And Mm -hmm. because it's stiff, those glands are embedded inside of there. And so it's hard to get some of those things out of there. So the genius of the Lipoflow is that it has a little device that goes on the front and the back surface of the eyelid. It heats it up from the back side of the eyelid where those glands are. And then it has a little pumping mechanism to it that once it's got that area heated up and we You've got a little bit more liquefaction, then it actually has a chance to clean those glands out. Um, and by cleaning those areas out, then it gives you a chance to kind of reset the system, mm-hmm. get some good oils on the surface again, 
restore the balance to those tiers and get the eyes feeling more comfortable. Right. We kind of start anew and maybe, and, and in those cases, we will start with some steroids and keep down the inflammation and add some uh, omega-3s, more EPA than DHA, and just to try to, like you said, reformulate better tiers. Now, your body chemistry is eventually going to take over and it's going to probably produce this. So those things need to be repeated for some people every year for some people every five to seven years it it, it's not a forever but boy what a what a difference between having to do it at home all the time right absolutely now now sometimes so so we don't use this in an acute case so you know we we like to complicate things in eye care you know if you get a blocked gland and it hurts and it's painful we you know we call it a hordeolum or we will call it a sty but then if it hangs around a little bit longer then it's yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore, but I got this little knot in my lid. Now, we like to change the word and call it chalazian, right? Or in some people who are trained in different places go chalazian. Basically, we're still talking about a block land. But there are points where I can't heat it up. I can't melt it. I can't get it through the gland. We need to do surgery. So let's talk about what's what. when I send you a patient that says, look, we've tried all these things, haven't been able to take care of it. We just need to in size and drain this what's involved in a chalazian removal if you will yeah so i often give the patients a dealer's choice scenario Um, we know that sometimes those chronic fibrous nodules will respond to intralesional injections Mm -hmm. Um, the problem with that even though the studies show that it has equivalent efficacy um, sometimes it takes two three four five shots all right to finally do it so the the average patient when i say okay you can go this route or Mm -hmm. we can give you one shot open it drain it and probably get you there much quicker yeah right and so the vast majority of patients do elect uh, to have these uh, drained Uh, and it's actually interesting you were talking about uh, earlier uh, people that uh, have somewhat emergent show up of these lesions and it wasn't but a week or so ago we were at a function uh, for uh, my oldest daughter's high school and I had a a, a former patient that I didn't remember Mm -hmm. we have those (laughs) uh, from four years ago and she comes up to me and the first thing she says to me I can't thank you enough do you remember that time Uh you took that Calasian, chalazian mm-hmm. off of my lid because we were headed out of town and she's like i remember that so vividly because it got me out of town without that bump on my lid right so it is a meaningful thing and it does show up frequently yes um, in terms of that but we live in a music industry town mm-hmm. i have musicians all the time come in and say hey i've got this spot but i got a gig on saturday can I do this today and not have evidence of it by the weekend? Exactly. Um, the short answer is said mostly, mm-hmm. right? Um, it only takes about 10 to 15 minutes to do, and most of that's just prep time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put some numbing medicine on the surface of the eye, a little numbing cream on the mm-hmm. skin, but we still have to give an injection. Now, that injection is just right underneath of the skin, all yeah, right? It's not in the eyeball. It's not in the eyeball. Absolutely. Just underneath of the skin. We're then able to safely and gently apply a clamp to the lid, make an incision on the backside of the eyelid generally, and we remove all of this thick material that's inside of there. And you'd be surprised how thick some Mm -hmm. of that material is. Uh, If they're actively infected, then sometimes, yeah, it looks more like a purulent area Mm -hmm. or it's some more fluid. But the vast majority of this inflammable 
inflammatory, uh, the, uh, the inflammation and the material there is granuloma, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. or what we call granulomatous inflammation. And so uh, for people that still eat tapioca pudding, <laughs> there I you think go. that's what it looks like. All right. There all right. people that watched the, you know, the dermatologist, the pimple popper on TV right. on her show on Lifetime, right? But sometimes she, it drains out and other times she's got to kind of chop around that stuff and get that Get that stuff get, out. Get that out, yeah. Although, you know, it's interesting to bring that up because I always feel a little bit inadequate because people will often ask me about that. I'm like, yeah. well, she gets all the big ones. <laughs> she does. She has fun with that thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, But I do have some patients that come in. They want to videotape it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, yeah. We let yep. them videotape. Uh, we had one the other day that we opened, and it actually shot out right towards the camera. Mm-hmm. Right? Not common to yep. the listeners, yep. right? Uh-huh. But under some pressure, you can see it. But once you sure. release and scoop we call it curatage Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. we try to be fancy about it but we're just scooping that material out of there once we clean that out sometimes we'll take out a little bit of that capsule that's causing some of that problem but that usually takes care of the situation it certainly does so readily and then afterwards we give you a little topical medicine that's an antibiotic and has a little steroid in it to try to prevent this from recurring as i see it we'll be right back Hi everyone, this is Dr. Jeff Kagaris with Cool Springs and Donaldson Eye Care. We've proudly served the Middle Tennessee community for the last 26 years and I want you to know we really appreciate you. Having an annual comprehensive eye health and vision exam is so important to the health of your eyes. From signs of diabetes, glaucoma, and cataracts, we're looking for it all. Don't let another day go by. Schedule your annual eye health and vision exam at Cool Springs or Donaldson Eye Care. And now, back to As I See It. Do you tell people that they can drive in and drive out of there, that don't need to have somebody that accompanies them, unless they would prefer to, right? Because they they are going to have some goo in their eye. I mean, you know. Or if they come in, that person that's got, you know, two of them. Right, right. They've right. got one on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are folks that we definitely say, you're going to have a little haziness to the right. vision. And so if it's just one eyelid, you're fine. If you've got um, uh, if you've got more, as we've, we've had some come in with five or six that we've drained right. in the same day, uh, certainly need somebody there with you because you are going to be bruised. Yeah, and, and we would and talk about that in an individual case. So. That's correct. Um, so. Again, let's let's talk about these are called, you know, we may call them a sty, we may call them a hordeolum, we may call them a chalazian, but again, these people get to the point that they're either, either fresh and I want it out now, or they get to the point, like you said, where, I mean, I've been, I've been doing all this stuff. I've tried this. Jeff gave me that. And I'm in that small category where it just didn't resolve. And now you're going to tell me I could give you a shot. It might work, but I might need to give you another one later and another one to follow no way get it out now right i'm i'm done with this i'm done with this and i I don't want to get another one again right which is a good time to be able to go you know your other glands since you've had this your other glands are at risk of this also and so we need to be doing some preventative maintenance to minimize this those are really really good candidates for lipoflow to minimize them having further styes in the future, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. how soon after, let's say, a, a Chalazian removal um, or IND, would you say, oh, you can have Lipoflow now, or we ought, to, we ought to schedule that? How long would you wait? You know, as I look at some of the patients that we show up and when we see them, I think there's probably three classifications of people. 
We have those that have a very isolated one sometimes in children, mm-hmm. all right, because mm-hmm. this happens to all ages, all right? And, uh, and sometimes it's not a diffuse problem with their glands. Maybe they don't really need to have that lipoflow. It was just mm-hmm. an isolated right. sporadic incident. Then we've got those folks that at the soon as I put the clamp on that eyelid, I see all this paste from the other from the ones out. next next from door, all the right? Ones next yeah. to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's a person that I think as soon as they feel comfortable, they're not having any tenderness around the eyelid, and we get that inside surface that we've made the incision to heal up. I think two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, is a reasonable time to do so. And I think, quite frankly, everybody that has any signs of subarrheic dermatitis or rosacea, um, any of these things that are causing ongoing issues, I think if you show up with one, all right, at this point in time, we ought to be considering that anyway so that you don't end up with one every five or six months. Right. Unless you like a little bee sting in your eyelid with the anesthetic. After you've had that experience once. (laughs) You'd say, I like that you're good at it, but I'd prefer to maybe not do that again. Yeah, I'd prefer to do something else. Now, occasionally these will recur in the same area or seem to be in the same area, right? Um, and that makes us a little more suspicious, doesn't it, sometimes? It does. And what, what, what do you think about from that standpoint? You know, we look at overall results, and we expect more than 90% of these to resolve, whether we inject them multiple times, whether we cut them out. If they continue to have something that doesn't quite resolve then we think there's maybe an underlying issue. Mm-hmm. All right, I've seen some cases where it's been, oh, that skin's breaking down, and it turns out, no, they actually had a little basal cell cancer mm-hmm. that was growing into the glands, so a form of a skin cancer, and then causing the chalazion as a secondary event. All right, mm-hmm. But that's an easier problem to fix. I think what you're really alluding to is the thing that we could get most concerned about, which is somebody that has this ongoing lesion, they start losing their lashes, it gets real red, it gets very flaky and crusty and doesn't respond, that that may be, you know, signs of a more significant type of cancer that we call sebaceous uh, cell carcinoma, which is a glandular cancer uh, and requires a very large amount of excision and reconstruction in the area to prevent it uh, from coming back and to try to prevent it from spreading. Incredibly rare, though. Mm-hmm. These are not common things, fortunately. Yeah. These are not things we even see every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they've, they are very rare things. But, yeah, if you've had treatment, you've had surgical therapy, and you still have a spot that's just never healing, all right, and never has completely healed, then that's when we start talking about biopsies of those areas Couldn't, to make sure. Going to send it to pathology. That's and, exactly and right. Because it's hard to just look and tell. You really don't know till then. So let's talk about cancers in and around the eyes. Uh, you mentioned basal cell, and would you say that's the most common eyelid tumor or eye around the eye, adnexa, we call that tumor that you see? Absolutely. Okay. And so uh, as we talk about some of these lesions that aren't um, inflammatory mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. nature, what is it that makes us think something else? Well, I just told you that sometimes those lashes start falling out. Well, sometimes those lashes, when they fall out, is just because of chronic inflammation. Um, on the other hand, sometimes it's because there's something infiltrating into that area. And so basal cell cancers almost look like somebody put a little donut on your eyelid. Uh, they've got these little clear rounded borders and a center part of it that's necrotic something that bleeds and patients will say, oh, I I scratched the top of it off. I think it goes away. It never goes away. And then it just keeps showing back up again. 
when we see that non-healing version, all right, and some bleeding along the surface, it should always raise the red flag that this is something else. And the most common thing we see is a basal cell carcinoma, and it mm-hmm. is much more common on the lower lid, secondary just to exposure. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an ultraviolet radiation exposure thing, and it's related to partly your genetics. Those of us that have lighter colored skin are going to be more likely to have problems with this. Those of us that have darker skin are going to do better because we've got a little bit of melanin protection relative Mm -hmm. to that. And so, but when we see those areas, those are things that the only way we get rid of them is just to simply excise them and repair the area. The good news is, is that they don't spread as long as you take care of them. Right. They're more right. locally invasive, That's exactly but not right. metastatic as much, right? That's exactly you know, right. Yeah. You know, the only time we get into trouble with that are sometimes, you know, Farmer Joe, all right? doesn't come seek medical help he shows up and he's got a great big tumor that's eaten right. up the whole eyelid and into the eye socket and uh, and so those are the ones that then uh, have to have uh, at least in the past more devastating type of surgery sure. big reconstructions but the cool thing is is uh, really about 15 years ago we started on this path of this development of these hedgehog pathway inhibitors and so this is a medication it's a form of chemotherapy mm-hmm. but these patients can take orally with very little side effect and we can watch it melt away a good portion of the tumor so people in the past when hmm. we would actually perform an exoneration yeah take out all take the contents all, of the orbit right everything you take it all out mm-hmm. all right these are people now that we've been able to shrink these tumors so much that we get it out of the orbit and then maybe they just have a small reconstruction mm-hmm. it's been very fascinating to watch how some of these things have worked in our favor now we'd rather they not get that bad sure right sure. we'd rather take care of them in a small procedure but we have found some other options out there now you've got a hail mary people, pass for the end of the game we do. right we absolutely Before, do yeah. That's, pr- that's pretty impressive. But that type of medication, that oral chemotherapeutic agent, is not one that you can take and see a small basal cell underneath the eyelid or un- on the top of the, of, the, of the, on the face. You can't see those things melt away with that, can you? Don't they have to be excised? I think they're better off to be excised. Yeah. The original reason when they started using those pathway inhibitors were these people that had a genetic defect that people would have like 80 basal cell cancers mm-hmm. on their face in a year and all over their body called Gorlin syndrome, right? And so that was the original category of patients that we studied, all right, to say, hey, how do we keep these people from having 80 surgeries every year, yeah. right? How do yep. we get that to knock down? So it can be effective for the small ones, but when you have one isolated lesion that is five, six millimeters, no, you don't want to be taking right. medication for that. Yeah. You want to cut it out. You want to check your margins, mm-hmm. what we call a, either a Mohs surgery or a frozen section, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. to make sure that all the tumor cells are out of there, and then we put you back together and give you a nice-looking eyelid again. Do most all of these require a, a Mohs now? It seems like that's much more common than it used to be. Is that because we have more Mohs surgeons, or is it just it's a better way to do it, or... I think it's both. I, I think okay. everybody that has one of these skin cancers should have either either technique. Okay. Right? Can so, you describe what a Mohs absolutely. surgery so, is? So, you know, we talk about the two techniques. One is Mohs uh, uh, surgical excision. The other is what we call a frozen section. 
When you have a Mohs uh, excision, what that means is you go to a dermatologist that specializes in skin cancer, has super subspecialization as a dermatopathologist, so a skin pathologist. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that person can cut out the tissue, and then they will take it and process it themselves. So if we've got jagged edges, if we've got delicate areas right next to the tear drain and we want to try to spare or save the tear drain, then these are folks that can make some very unusual shapes to Mm -hmm. try to Mm -hmm. spare some of that tissue. But then that same person is the person looking at it under the microscope. That way, if they say, oh, in this one little spot where I took that extra little divot, I know exactly where that is and I can go back and take more. Mm -hmm. Because they will look at it. When you go see a Mohs surgeon, they'll be like, did I get it in one? pass? Did I get it in two? Did I get it in three? How many times do they have to cut tissue out until they no longer see any abnormal cells under the microscope? That's when that part of the procedure is done. Mm-hmm. And All they're right. trying to take the minimum amount the of tissue. Because tissue. we don't want to take, I mean, yeah, you can take out, you know, 20 centimeters, <laughs> but that's... I've got no eyelid to help. There you go. Together, there right? you go. So, and so yeah, it's yeah. better for us, all right, when we have some of those Mohs uh, surgeons take care of some of those areas because it saves some of that valuable real estate that we need, you know, in terms of reconstructing those eyelids. However, there's still a role for those people that also do it under a frozen section. Um, it's the same principle, mm-hmm. right, where basically we're still having a pathologist read it at in real time. All right. The difference is is that the surgeon cuts out the sample, often puts a few tagging stitches into Mm -hmm, it to mm -hmm. set up an alignment issue, lets the pathologist in the hospital read it while you're still there, and they do the same thing. Yes, we're clear, or no, we're not. And once you have clearance of your margins, then you go and put things back together. The disadvantage to that... Right, is that the person that's cutting it out and marking it is not the same person that's reading it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a real easy isolated lesion, not a big deal. All right. If you've got a complex morphology or shape to that lesion, uh, then I think you're better off having uh, the Mohs technique done. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, most of the time, the Mohs surgeons won't put together their own eyelid defects. Right. That's right. why they that's created where, That's us. where you come in. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Uh, so they send them to us to try to figure out how we're going to make an eyelid function and work and look pretty mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And that's why I recommend on any of any of the lumps and the bumps and certainly on the potentials for, t- for tumors, et cetera, that um, we use an oculoplastic surgeon because you're so well-trained in the anatomy of the lid. And we think about function after the surgery, not just only the surgery itself. And because uh, I'm, as a primary eye care doctor, I'm going to be seeing this person for a long time. And those complaints of tearing or those complaints of dryness or it, whatever um, are going to, you know, we're going to have to deal with those. So you, you minimize those type of things for so many of our patients. And I appreciate that very much. Make my life easier as a doctor. <laughs> so um, anything else that you want to mention on on some of these areas? We talked a little bit about styes and about the glands that are secreting a thicker fluid. We talked about home maintenance, hot compresses, lid scrubs. We talked about lipoflow as a procedure in the office. And we talked about some of these if they come back and we get a little concerned about cancers, which led us into, well, what about cancers around the eye? I think a lot of people aren't familiar with the fact that when we say wear sunglasses, we're not just talking about protecting from ultraviolet light to the retina or the inside of the eye, but those are a blocker 
for the skin around the eye also, which this lower part is, you know, absorbs an awful lot of ultraviolet light. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not only are those sunglasses a good option, you know, the glass they put in autos is mm-hmm. a big deal now, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, gender roles in the 1940s said the man always sat on the left side of the car driving and the woman on the right side. And guess what? The men always got their skin cancers on the left side and the women got it on the right. And so, you know, some of those other sort of industrial kind of design things has made a difference as well. It even now goes to the point that not only is that ultraviolet radiation bad for your skin from a skin cancer standpoint, but it photoages you. It's the thing that really drives a lot of changes in the pigmentation of your skin, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about sunspots. Yeah, where'd those come from? Liver yeah, spots, yeah, yeah. right? Um, what about those wrinkles, right? All of that is related to you know, intense photo aging. So guess what? When you've got those sunglasses on, all right, with some protection there, it's helpful. A step further, nowadays in a lot of makeup, you'll see the SPF levels put in there, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of women will be do a much better job than guys, obviously. Exactly. Right? Yep. And, uh, but they do much better because a lot of that uh, makeup that they use now has some of that 30 SPF or 50 SPF, which let's be honest, that's where you should be. Mm-hmm. You know, the days mm-hmm. of using a 4 SPF and an 8 SPF and thinking you were doing something is long gone. That's right. And so if you're one of those people out there that's doing it, just get rid of that stuff. If it doesn't have a 30 on it, <laughs> you've made the mistake. That's right. right. We got You got to up the ante. There. And I remember the day when you know when we go to the beach and the lifeguards were selling you know the the type oil. of stuff that's the oil that's going to really make you brown and burn <laughs> that's, exactly. that's probably going to come back to haunt us later on here but uh, sure anyway is. it's not going to cause any styes though right no, not, that's no relationship there so that that's good so listen um dr everman dr kelly everman with me today um name of your practice is elite oculoplastics and your locations are uh, we have our main office location in franklin in the cool springs area and then we have satellite locations in murfreesboro Gallatin and Dixon. Okay, and if people want to call your office for eyelid, which we're going to talk about in future podcast episodes, um, other type of cosmetic procedures, or if we have said to them, you know what, we got this bump, I want to send you to Dr. Everman, let's set you up, and they go, no, I'll just call them on my own. What number should they call, Kelly? It's area code 615-250-0885. Very good. So we're talking to Dr. Kelly Everman today about styes, shalazian, carcinoma, basal cell carcinoma, or other tumors around the eye. Uh, if you have anything that is around your eye that's a lesion that just won't heal, that bleeds, that starts to get bigger, turns color, don't put it off. Let us take a look at it. We need to look at those very carefully and may need to send you to Dr. Everman for a biopsy or removal. Um, obviously, we're here to help you. I kind of view that when it comes to styes, it's the perfect example of where we're really, even though we'll call ourselves as optometrists, the primary eye care practitioner, we're not a primary care practitioner. The patient is because the patient's going to take care of all these things at home. And only if they can't and are not successful will they get a second opinion. So we're already the secondary care provider for most of these styes, right? Absolutely. I tell externs and interns when they come in, you know, by the time they get to you, they're frustrated. They want it fixed, right? That's exactly (laughs) right. That's exactly right. Listen, we appreciate you taking such good care of our patients and helps. uh, You're an extension of our office uh, in demonstrating not just good eye care, but a great health care experience. And we appreciate 
very much the uh, spending some time with the podcast today and also taking great care of our patients, Kelly. Thanks. Glad to help. Thank you for having me.